you take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the globe to bring you the latest developments in medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. We love the It's time for the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. Now, here's your host, Russ Belleville. Big day tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, May 1st, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. And welcome to the new show, The Marijuana Agenda, coming to you live and direct from Delta 9 Studios in beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon. This is your sampler for every aspect of the world of cannabis. We're going to be covering it all. Check out our new site at mjagenda.com, and if you go to the About page, you can learn about our recurring schedule of podcast features. This is going to be a brand new experience with so many more contributing factors in this show, so many other organizations joining us to bring you the full spectrum of marijuana. Today on the show, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our prime segment, and then in our regional segment, we'll get to the Northwest Cannabis Chronicles, where Henry Rollins spoke at the Eugene, Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. That's coming up after the break. Also, we've got some drug war data mining and a radical rant to get to you, but we'll always start things off with the news right after our first commercial break. And remember, the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville is brought to you by these sponsors, so please support the sponsors of this show so we can keep bringing you this podcast absolutely free. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to The Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. You're listening to The Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. Learn more at mjagenda.com. Looking for the 420 friendliest way to visit beautiful legal potland, Oregon? I'm Lori Duckworth, inviting you to come stay with us at Delta 9 House and Studios. You get your own private room with queen bed and access to our high-speed Wi-Fi, premium entertainment system, and more. We'll even cook you breakfast. Look us up on Facebook at Delta 9 House. That's Facebook.com slash Delta number 9 House. Delta 9 House is booked through Airbnb and licensed by the City of Portland. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. I'm Russ Belleville with the Marijuana Agenda. Join me every four weeks for Veterans of Compassion with the Veterans Cannabis Group. 
Learn more at mjagenda.com slash about. This is your Cannabis Headline News. Brought to you by MarijuanaMoment.net, the complete source for all your marijuana news in one morning newsletter from Marijuana Majority founder Tom Angel. Subscribe today for free at MarijuanaMoment.net. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, May 1st, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. President Donald Trump has invited President Rodrigo Duterte, an authoritarian leader accused of ordering extrajudicial killings of drug suspects in the Philippines, to visit him at the White House. Now, the administration is bracing for an avalanche of criticism from human rights groups. Two senior officials said they expected the State Department and National Security Council, both of which were caught off guard by the invitation, to raise objections internally. It is not even clear, given the accusations of human rights abuses against him, that Duterte would be granted a visa to the United States were he not a head of state, according to human rights advocates. Trump's support of Duterte follows his congratulations last week to Turkey's authoritarian President Erdogan and continued praise of Russia's strongman leader, Vladimir Putin. Governor Eric Holcomb signed Indiana's first medical cannabis law Wednesday. It legalizes a form of cannabis, cannabinoid oil, or CBD, for the treatment of epilepsy. At the beginning of the session, Holcomb indicated that he did not support any proposals that allowed the use of cannabis. But this week, his tune changed, saying, quote, This does not put us on a slippery slope to legalizing marijuana. Quite the contrary. End quote. He says the testimony from Hoosiers in favor of CBD, a non-psychoactive form of cannabis oil, was powerful. Indiana legislators have considered CBD for epilepsy bills for the past seven years. The new law creates a registry and allows anyone diagnosed with uncontrollable seizures to try CBD oil. The oil allowed under the new law must contain less than 0.3% THC and must be acquired from out of state, making anyone following the law an interstate drug trafficker under federal law. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is willing to explore the possibility of allowing NFL players to use marijuana for medical reasons, but he's not on board with the idea of taking it off the list of banned substances for recreational use. Goodell said on the Mike and Mike radio program that he continues to believe marijuana is bad for players. Quote, listen, you're ingesting smoke, so that's not usually a very positive thing that people would say, the commissioner said, adding, it does have an addictive nature. There are a lot of compounds in marijuana that may not be healthy for the players long term, end quote. Goodell failed to mention any long-term consequences of marijuana more harmful to the players than the act of playing football itself, like the brain damage and chronic pain for which NFL doctors prescribe Herculean mounts of opioid painkillers. Mexico's lower house overwhelmingly passed a bill Friday approving the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes, the latest in a series of legal challenges and court rulings that have somewhat relaxed cannabis laws in Mexico. The measure does not allow smoking marijuana. The bill would also authorize cultivation of marijuana plants for medical and scientific purposes and establish that industrial products with concentrations of 1% THC or less would be legal to buy, sell, import, and export. The bill already passed Mexico's Senate. The legislation now goes to President Enrique Peña Nieto to be signed into law. 
rules for the minimum age at which Canadians could buy pot, how many plants apartment dwellers could grow, and lengthy maximum prison sentences could be challenged by senators and opposition MPs as the government's marijuana legislation passes through parliamentary committees. Conservative MPs have stated that, quote, 18 is far too young an age, end quote, for legal cannabis. Others are concerned about the limit of four cannabis plants per household and the 14-year maximum sentence for exceeding that limit. With the end of the Vermont legislative session looming May 6th, marijuana legalization is set to come to the House floor. The legislation was expected to come up for a vote in the House in March, but amid uncertainty whether there were the votes to pass it, it was sent to the Human Services Committee. The bill would allow adults to possess up to one ounce of marijuana and make it legal to grow up to two mature marijuana plants and five immature plants at home. It would not create a structure for regulated and taxed sales of marijuana, as has been implemented in several states, including Colorado. I'm Russ Belville with your Cannabis Headline News. You're listening to the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. You're listening to the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belville. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. I'm Russ Belleville from the Marijuana Agenda. Join me every two weeks for the voice of the industry from the National Cannabis Industry Association. Learn more at mjagenda.com slash about. This is Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and author of numerous books and columns on cannabis science, culture, history, and medicine. Email your questions to Dr. Earlywine at 420research at gmail.com or call the Marijuana Agenda message line at 650-LEGAL-MJ. Now, 
Here's your Cannabis Q&A. Welcome to Cannabis Q&A. This is uh, Russ Belville, and we're speaking with Russ Dr. Mitch Early. I can't hear you. And we can't hear Dr. Um, Mitch. Okay, let's see what we can do to get that uh, on the line. Back, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, we'll try again, Dr. Mitch. We'll try again. Uh, calling Dr. Mitch Earlywine here in our Cannabis Q&A segment. So let's see what we can do to make that happen. Thank you, Dr. Mitch, for holding on. We were to have this pre-recorded. Unfortunately, we're unable to get a hold of Dr. Mitch earlier today. So we'll see if we can hear him on this interview. Hello, Dr. Mitch, can you hear me? Indeed, I can. Good to hear your voice. Glad to hear you. We've got a new setup here, so we're just making sure everything is still working. So uh, we sent a bunch of uh, new topics to Dr. Mitch. It's been a while since we spoke to him, so let's get right into it. There's a report out today uh, from the Mike and Mike radio show where NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said he was open to the possibility of players using marijuana for medicinal purposes but he wasn't sanguine on the idea of allowing recreational use. Uh, really, Dr. Mitch, wouldn't any NFL player be using it for medical purposes? In all honesty, when you think about the base rate of just chronic pain in the NFL, I think that that automatically should let anybody who's playing actively have complete permission to go for it. But also when we see these uh, cannabinoid-based neuroprotective factors, These guys are getting head injuries like you would not believe. And the number of folks who are playing concussed is unconscionable. So we really got to do everything we can to protect who are, you know, basically our modern day gladiators. So I I would hope that he would give everyone the benefit of the doubt and assume it's not recreational. Let's understand that in a sense, being in the NFL is a medical condition that qualifies you for medical cannabis. You know, that segues so perfectly to this next news story that we heard about recently, and that is the National Institutes of Drug Abuse on a new website admitting that the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes in the states that allow it could be contributing to a reduction in the opioid crisis. We know these NFL players are prescribed a ton of opioids, so that seems to lend credence to what they've been saying. You know, they had televised and basically put it on the Internet. One of those big talks that they had, and Nora Volkow mentioned this, and I literally just about uh, lost my own teeth because they've been super resistant to this for so long. But the data are now so compelling. We've got evidence in multiple states across really large data sets and now some data coming out of Canada suggesting the same thing. Obviously, we need to go ahead and take this step because the pharmacological properties of cannabis make it so that folks can use opioids at a lower dose and even get off of them for a while, maintain their sensitivity so they don't develop the tolerance. And nobody ever talks about it, but the horrible side effects of opiates are also a big issue. And so I think that this is a step in the right direction. I sure hope that NIDA and everybody involved at NIH will do more to make medical cannabis available for the people who are suffering from chronic pain. Is this something you think that the uh, pharmaceutical industry has been made aware of or has been aware of? And perhaps that might be why we see some of their donations against the legalization of medical marijuana. You know, those guys know the Google Scholar literature as well as I do. And all you have to do is take a close look at what's been published since even 2007 and beyond, just the last 10 years. And it's pretty clear that this is a possibility. And the the fact that they're still fighting this when they're making 
so much money. I mean, what kind of rapacious, greedy farts are, are willing to basically put people at risk for these negative consequences when it's so obvious that they could just get on the bandwagon, get in the cannabis business themselves and, and go ahead and make sure that people are healthy. And that's really all we're asking. Another consideration when it comes to the prescription of opiate painkillers are the list of side effects that uh, come along with them. And uh, some of those could include depression or anxiety. And there's been a new study that has compared this, the depression and anxiety among chronic pain patients, uh, among those who use cannabis versus those who use opioids. What can we learn from this study? I mean, it's it's no surprise to any of our listeners that cannabis is not a source of anxiety or depression. And it's the withdrawal, really, from the opiates that seems to create these aversive psychological effects. And I hate to say it, the mechanism may very well be something as mundane as constipation. These drugs are so hard on your gastrointestinal system that anybody would be bummed out, nervous, and upset and what a surprise, the plant is not going to create those effects at all. So here's, here's an opportunity for us to really get away from some of the most addictive drugs ever, literally going back to 6400 BC, and move to a plant with literally millennia of safety. Yeah, I've seen advertisements for a, a new anti-opioid-induced constipation drug. They call it OIC on the commercial. Uh, seems to me you'd be better off just using the medical cannabis instead. Exactly, and it's funny because a lot of them, you see the flyers and they've got like a, a slug or some, some animal that's notoriously known for moving slowly as if your GI system is basically... Uh, turned into a snail. And, it, and it's sad that they've, they've kind of missed the big picture, which is maybe you shouldn't really be using these at all. Now, uh, our next story here has to do with a study on marijuana outlets, be they uh, recreational outlets or medical dispensaries, and whether or not they are contributing to crime in and around their neighborhoods. And what did this study tell us? Well, so it's interesting because the first data set that Rand published on this showed there really wasn't any increase in crime around those areas. And then suddenly, under all this pressure, they removed it from their website. Now the data are back showing, indeed, the exact same thing. And if you think about, you know, responsible dispensary owners, they're often the ones who are out there uh, finding a nice location, suddenly planting flowers out in the median of the, of the streets, Really, uh, they're eager to have their neighborhoods be safe because it's good for business. And so they may have to install cameras, they may have to install lights, but this is what's going to make the kind of community that you want so that you can sell the uh, amount of product you want, but also so you can create the sort of therapeutic environment where people can come and actually have a socially supportive experience along with their medicinal cannabis experience I, I really hope that these data get a lot of press. Oh, me too. We have a uh, question from our live chat room. They would like to know, with respect to withdrawals from caffeine, how long can that take? So sad but true, the headache in particular associated with caffeine withdrawal can last as much as 72 hours. Now, I personally have not had that experience, but I haven't kicked caffeine in several years, and I'm afraid I'm about due yet again. I've seen uh, some folks really suffer from this, and uh, if you're uh, at risk for migraine or some other headache-related disorders, this could be pretty serious business. Now, what a surprise. What is one of our favorite 
uh, headache and anti-migraine medicines, but cannabis itself. So the notion of using cannabis to get off caffeine may sound comical to some of our prohibitionist friends, but in fact, this is a, a reasonable, I think, experimental use. And if folks are giving it a try and want to email me, I'd love to hear how it goes. Yeah, you can always email Dr. Mitch at 420research at gmail.com if you've got any other follow-up questions. Now, we've got another study, and this one ought to make the uh, number crunchers in Washington, D.C. sit up and pay attention. It says that a national medical marijuana program could save Medicaid a billion dollars a year. How do they come up with this number? Well, what's curious is that they literally walk through each of the disorders that Medicaid is already paying for and try to get a reasonable estimate of what would a cannabis-based medicine cost instead. And I honestly looked at some of the assumptions on this, and I feel like this may be actually an underestimate. It wouldn't be surprised to me, and I'm, you know, I'm going out on a limb here because it's a little out of my area, but I think $1.3 billion is a completely reasonable estimate based on the assumptions they've made. And if you think about what we're paying, in a sense, because of the underground market and prohibition itself, there's a chance to get cannabis uh, markedly cheaper, and we're already seeing it in some of the legal markets. So I, I would I would hope that as we you know look at the price of our medical expenses, we can keep this in mind and see this as a real opportunity to save money, particularly as our society is aging. All right, and uh, for our final question here, this one, uh, you know, sometimes Dr. Mitch, when I go through these studies, I just wonder how they write the grant applications for these and and how they get paid uh, to do this kind of work. Stuff that seems so common sense and so obvious, but this new study says that college students are at a higher risk for using marijuana uh, than their peers who do not go to college. I mean, did this come from the Department of No Shit, or what's going on with this study? (laughs) So believe it or not, uh, the woman who got that grant made a compelling argument for why folks who are not attached to college might be at risk for a number of negative consequences and a a number of drug-related problems. Um, But as you might guess, she's not a cannabis user, so she didn't understand the inherent college bull session component uh, of cannabis. And that same data set did show that binge drinking uh, is is also uh, potentially a problem in folks who are not uh, connected to college. But as you think about it, those guys are often working jobs, nine to five, pretty hardcore, pretty difficult work. And so they may not have the uh, intellectual luxury, shall we say, of the average undergraduate. And so uh, I think your Department of No Shit idea is a pretty compelling one. <laughs> Thank you for that. And uh, if we can get a dean for that department, I'm willing to put in my application. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to admit, you'll have to line up right behind me, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, this is uh, was no surprise to me. You know, there's an old saying, there's a time and place for everything, and that place is college. Uh, I'm wondering, is there any uh, indication as to which type of college or which type of majors may more be more likely, law school or liberal arts compared to, say, business school? All those data are from the early 70s, and what a surprise back then it was the West Coast colleges. (laughs) And if you look where the legal markets are, I don't think you'd be stunned that those same people are now in charge of uh, some of those laws that have passed and some of those dispensaries that are providing. It would be interesting to see uh, how enrollment has changed in Pac-12 colleges since the uh, implementation of legalization in I believe almost all the states that play in the Pac-12, except the Utah, I guess. So uh, that would be interesting. Have you heard any uh, data on this yet? 
The rumor, at least at the application level, is that the applications are up. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll uh, pay attention to that, see if we can find any uh, information on that in the future. Dr. Mitchell, Early Wine joins this us every two weeks. As part of the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville, the daily news and interview podcast covering the world of medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. Subscribe now for free at mjagenda.com. You're listening to the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. I'm Russ Belleville from the Marijuana Agenda. Join me for A Sensible Future from Students for Sensible Drug Policy every other Tuesday here on the Marijuana Agenda. Learn more at mjagenda.com slash about. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in Drug War Data Mining, we want to take a look at a report coming out from Leafly.com, and they are investigating a recent complaint that was submitted to the regulators of the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. A group of industry members are accusing Peak Analytics, that's the uh, largest cannabis testing lab in Washington State, accusing the lab of large-scale inaccuracies. According to the complaint, Peak has been sweetening its THC content tent. Tests That is, boosting the levels of THC beyond what were really uh, reported and rejecting an abnormally low proportion of cannabis samples for microbial contamination. 
Now, if these allegations are true, this, of course, would provide Peak Analytics with a huge advantage over their competitors as more growers would want to bring their products to places that are going to get them higher numbers and lower failures. So this is some serious allegations. Uh, Leafly News did receive a statement from Peak that said the lab, quote, meets all state, local, and Washington State Liquor Control Board mandated regulations, end quote, and that their testing methods are scientifically valid. This was uh, provided to Leafly by the Washington Cannabis Laboratory Association. This is a group of state licensed testing labs that were formed last year to promote industry standards. They did a survey of the various labs throughout the state of Washington, did some data analysis on 2016, and what they found was that most of the labs all hewed to a pretty standard bell curve uh, where they all fell in the range of about 19% THC average for what they were testing. The peak analytics average, according to the chart provided, shows a peak THC or shows a THC average happening at around, or I guess I should say median, happening at about 22% THC. So from 19 to 22, getting about 3% THC higher numbers when you take your uh, samples to Peak Analytics. According to the complaint, quote, these data indicate that Peak Analytics is producing data for flour well outside what should be considered industry-wide normative outcomes. That is to say that they're far above the median. They're way past uh, all of the statistical averages in these considerations, and that's highly suspect. The complaint continues, quote, traceability data demonstrate that this overreporting is consistent through time and across grow spaces. The data depicted in the graph represent tens of thousands of samples. So the other things they found here in this complaint, some of the evidence that they provide to uh, the Washington State Liquor Control Board that Leafly has picked up on, A cannabis farmer took samples from the same flower lot to eight different labs, with the results showing a 13% spread in the results. Peak was the lab providing the highest THC percentage of the eight labs, a full 5.6% higher than the nearest lab. They also said, quote, Retailers have noticed that when their marijuana vendors switch testing services to Peak Analytics, their potency values go up by 1.5 times. Some retailers have begun requesting their buyers test at Peak Analytics, knowing that it sells better with higher numbers, end quote. The growers and processors contacted by Leafly News confirmed that this practice is common. And Jim McRae, who's a data scientist and independent cannabis industry watchdog, published data that he says corroborates these claims. He collected data from September 2015 to December 2016, and showed a similar gap in potency results between Peak Analytics and its competitors, as well as a gap in microbial fail rates. Uh, In December, um, the lab failed less than 5% of its samples. According to McRae, according to historical testing results that he has uh, researched, he's never failed fewer than 10% of samples when he looks at the other Uh, other labs. They usually fail 10% or more of their samples. Peak's maximum failure was about 5%. Nick Mosley is is the chief science officer at Confidence Analytics. He's a competitor 
to peak, and he's a party in this complaint. He told Leafly, quote, While it is true that in many areas of our work, cannabis science is in need of standardization, it is also true that adequate standards already exist for the relatively simple task of measuring THC in a flower or concentrate. Given that the lab in question is testing the same population of marijuana flower as are the rest of the labs in Washington, it's hard to imagine a good excuse for having such obviously biased THC results, end quote. So this pattern of inflating the THC and never failing microbial growth presents two problems to the consumers like us. Number one, we're paying for a product that is weaker than is advertised. We're wanting to buy a 25% THC and maybe getting a 20% THC. That's fraudulent. And of course, not failing these products that are failing the microbial standards risks our health. Risks the health of older consumers, risks the health of people with compromised immune systems that could suffer from fungal infections or other problems because of this tainted marijuana. The complaint says, quote, not only is the motive obvious, the evidence indicates that they took and continue to take the opportunity to provide consistently biased results despite having been notified in a documentable way, end quote. Tom Hubble from uh, Peak uh, Analytics sent an email to Leafly denying the charges. And according to his email, he says, quote, Peak Analytics meets all state, local, and Washington State Liquor Control Board mandated regulations. Our methods are validated based on the American Herbal Pharmacopeia and were approved by scientific examiners from the R.J. Lee Group as well as our Washington State Liquor Control Board certification. We were recertified for the second time in November 2016 under the advisory of the RJ Lee Group, at which time our data, methods, instrumentation, SOPs, and personnel were all evaluated and approved. We participated in and passed the proficiency tests in the fall of 2016 that were approved by the Washington State Liquor Control Board and administered by Emerald Scientific and NSI Lab Solutions. Peak Analytics wholeheartedly supports the standardization of the QA cannabis testing industry in the state of Washington, and uh, they continue to deny that there's any sort of problem here, which would tell me either Peak Analytics has figured out how to do it exactly right, and everybody else in Washington has somehow done it wrong, or there's some shenanigans going on here. Something's going on with this testing. We'll keep you posted on that. Thanks to Leaf. You're listening to The Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville. The Marijuana Agenda. Like the pharmaceutical agenda without all the side effects, overdose deaths, you know, insurance. Side effects may include nausea, dry mouth, and constipation. Dry mouth, constipation, indigestion, and abdominal pain. Which can occur without warning and may cause death. Hey, everybody, it's Russ Belville from the Marijuana Agenda, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org. 
or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. I'm Russ Belville from the Marijuana Agenda. Join me every four weeks for the Celebrity Marijuana Zone with Steve Bloom from CelebStoner.com. Learn more at MJAgenda.com slash about. Welcome to the Northwest Cannabis Chronicle, brought to you by the Marijuana Business Association at MJBA.net the fastest-growing cannabis business alliance in America. Today, we catch you up on the latest news and speak with an expert from Cascadia Bioregion of the Pacific Northwest, consisting of the legal marijuana states of Oregon, Washington, and Alaska. Fill your coffee and grab an umbrella. It's time for the Northwest Cannabis Chronicle. Today in the Northwest Cannabis Chronicle, we bring you highlights of a keynote speech delivered by legendary punk icon Henry Rollins as he spoke at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference in Eugene, Oregon. Learn more about the conference at OregonMBC.com. Now let's turn it over to Henry Rollins. I am older than almost every single one of you in this room. I'm 56 years of age. Uh, Well, I'm just saying, there's... The the thing I'm making reference to is American history. I come from Washington, D.C., and to the left of my mother is Joan Baez and a wall. To the right of my father is Joseph Stalin, a Fox News host on vacation, and a wall. And so I was passed between the two households. So five days a week I get Bob Dylan and We Shall Overcome, and two days a week I get my father on whiskey and making me sing the national anthem over and over again on his front lawn. His appearance was if you inhaled marijuana you would turn gay and the empire would crumble. And so that was kind of the mood and the attitude of marijuana in Washington DC when I was in high school. Where if you knew someone who smoked marijuana the perception was he's not lazy, he's evil. He's a deviant. And this is when gay people were called queer and homophobia and misogyny was everywhere. It was on TV, it was on the radio. That's all fine. But marijuana is bad. And then we heard about a thing called Paraquat. And the whole time I'm going to a prep school for boys and there was no lighter levity in that environment. And one time a kid, a 14 year old kid, I was like 16 or 17, he brings on to the back of the bus a joint. It's about the diameter of a knitting needle. There's no marijuana in this. It's mostly paper and spit. He's like, hey, look what I've got. And we're looking like, are you insane? You have marijuana on this bus. He might as well have had a bomb. We're all terrified to stand next to him. We're all going to go to jail. You like, I've seen a joint. Oh, no. And then, right around that time, I started going to Arena Rock. And I saw Aerosmith with Ario Speedwagon opening. And the entire Capitol Center in Largo, Maryland, smelled like cheap arena weed. And I remember standing next to Ian Mackay from the band Fugazi. We've been best friends since we were 12. We're standing next to each other like... Do you smell that? Oh my God, people around us are smoking marijuana. Are we going to be okay? Because we didn't exactly believe reefer madness, but we thought part of it might be true. And this was the perception of marijuana not even a few decades ago 
in this country. And so the point I'm making is just in our lifetimes, we have come a long, long damn way. And so in the years that went forward, me not smoking, I started meeting more and more people who used cannabis. In high school, I wanted to meet girls and I was shy and didn't have the hookup. So I would hang out with people who knew where parties were. And so I would go to these awful prep school parties where you were immediately judged and you'd go in and there's these guys you know from the rowing team like what school do you go to i don't care about talking to you i want to talk to the girl standing next to you get out of our party and no one wanted me and then after outside of most of these parties were the ne'er-do-wells who couldn't get in and they were the ones smoking weed and like hey man did you go in there yeah they didn't want me come and hang with us were the potheads, the potheads. And that's where I found out I should buy Robin Trower records because I would hang out with the potheads who eventually I found out to be the greatest of skateboarders because they were calm and without fear. And I would go to these skate ramps in the woods, in the suburbs, and you smell marijuana, which is no longer an unfamiliar smell in my life. And you'd see these guys utterly stoned dropping into these half pies like, watch this, man. You try it. Absolutely not. I'm afraid of gravity and I have no grace whatsoever. And so it was not this thing where, oh, you're stoned and you can't do anything. You were stoned and you were capable of quite a bit. And it was my on-the-street interaction with cannabis and cannabis users that started to change my mind. I got it from the real, real events. And so then I joined Black Flag, and I go into this punk rock world where there's a lot of speed, a lot of cocaine, uh, a lot of anger, uh, a, a lot of death, sadly. And I lived in Redondo Beach, a little south of the airport. And Black Flag did not necessarily hang out with people who went to the shows. They were maniacs. But our neighborhood was full of stoners and we would hang out and I that that's a, not exactly a pejorative but that's what they called themselves and they would call us hey man we're having a party in our garage you guys want to come and play yeah we'll come and play we'll play this insane aggressive hyenas on the Serengeti Plains music at your stoner party absolutely so we go in there loading our gear like a bunch of feral barracudas like here's our music and the stoner like alright and the place I would I would play in basements full of pot and this what the main stoner the guy would throw the parties his name was Casey and Casey would come up to me like hey man we know you don't drink and we know you know you don't smoke, man. So we got together, man, and we got you a Martinelli's apple juice, man, because we know you like to be healthy, and we're so happy you're here. I damn near wept. Like, the stoners are the nicest people. And then we would go play one of our own shows where people are standing in front of us like, you suck, I paid $4 to beat you up. And so... I started enjoying hanging out with the people on marijuana, and I never was curious to ever try it, but I liked being around these people who were so friendly and so cool and so sane and so rational. Henry spoke uh, wonderfully about the war on drugs, its impact on the poor, minorities, and such. It, well, it's a war on the poor exactly. and minorities, and it's, it's a war that wins because it loses. And uh, that's why, it, unless you and I really move uh, forcefully, it will never end because it's too much of a moneymaker. And that's these people know. If it ends, you can no longer lock up black, brown, and poor people uh, as easily as you can now. And as you know, you have about 50-50 
using cannabis black white in this country overwhelmingly uh, like four to one three to one you have African Americans incarcerated because of of cannabis or nonviolent drug uh, offenses and so the racism is, is yeah. it can't be more in your face and and like I said if they if the beds start emptying because we legalize they'll find a new thing to criminalize and they'll make the way into the system they'll grease it up and you'll find a new way to slide into it and and so it is a war and it's won by being lost it's a scam it's like so many things in this country it's a scam it's a scam it's a scam like the Iraq war it was a scam five people got paid and thousands of people got blowed up or, or just destroyed psychically or physically but Dick Cheney and four other people got rich and as always so many things in this country from day one to now it's a scam and you and I we are the anti-scam that wasn't a question you asked me I went off anyway so go ahead well, well part of that discussion part of that discussion does touch into the uh, areas of mass incarceration and privilege in our society. I'm wondering, uh, as someone who worked in the major label world, do you have any examples of how rock stars got away with things that we wouldn't have gotten away with, privilege-wise, law-wise? Statutory rape? (laughs) I mean, no, uh, rock stars get away with all kinds of things. Um, It's a privileged class. Uh, On the bright side of things, uh, on days when museums are closed, they open them for you. Uh, Wings of major art galleries open for you. These are the advantages I take. Uh, You get to have rock star tours of the Library of Congress and the National Archives and sit in a room with the first 26 years of Congress and look at documents from Adams and Lincoln and all that, which I I did. Uh, There's also things... uh, People would see me on stage... And that they'd find me in the men's room later, like, you want more speed? Because they thought I was on speed. And, I, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I can't get near that. They're like, oh, come on, man, you're not high? I'm like, I'm high on life. <laughs> and, and so there's a lot of things offered you. Uh, there's a lot of pleasuring that can come your way from people offering their their assets <laughs> to, to uh, all, all kinds of things. Uh, yeah, and they get away with uh, all kinds of things. But what, what to me, what, they, what a lot of people get away with is, is the crime of mediocrity, of selling mediocre product, uh, of forcing bands who aren't ready yet to make a record and go on tour. They're ripening. They, they need another year in the clubs before you push them out onto a big stage because they just wanted the money. So these, these bands are basically grown like menudo and when they don't sell enough, they're just tossed away and they grab from another, from the farm team and they put them in there. It's just, it's a scam and they make money off young people and their youth and their vitality and they sell this it's like uh, Soylent Green they grind up these people and feed these people back to them and uh, that's why the major label industry failed because they stopped doing good things and they just went for money instead and thankfully it blew up in their face and now you have the stuff that you see at the halftime Super Bowl games. It's just like, wow, they dance so well and she's wearing no clothes. That's, wow, is that a bit of labia? Uh, but, <laughs> like, like, how little clothes can she wear? She's really pushing it, but no artistic thing is pushed. It's just pudenda, Latin, eighth grade. A long time ago in the major label industry, the art used to dictate the industry. And then the industry started to dictate the art. I remember somewhere in the 80s, record labels started putting out unbelievable, mediocre crap. And guess what? They lost everything. Whole floors of major label buildings went dark because they're laying off staff because everyone finally went, you know what? This music sucks and it costs too much and you're treating us like idiots. So stop. And thank 
thankfully, I loved it when that happened because I knew I was right all the time. And thankfully, the major labels came into the breach and now the, in, or the, the independent labels rather. And the independent labels are now better than ever. The best bands in America are on independent labels. And if you contact these labels, someone writes you back. When your record arrives dented, they send you another one. Why? Because they care. Or the last thing, like, we have to get back to you in six weeks. We only made 40 of these, man. I got to go to my dad's house to get the other one I left behind the couch. Hold on, dude. We'll get back to you. Where it's real personal. I'm hoping that you all understand that you serve the community you'll be setting up your store in, and that is of great importance to know the people who come into your shop. You are, in effect, a mom-and-pop store, and these people who are buying from you, if you're only in the business to sell something and make money, I'm not going to say screw you. I like you too much for that. I'm just saying you're failing the job. In my opinion, you're selling not only a product that makes people happy, but you're selling medicine. You're selling something that can help get someone off an opioid addiction. And, and, and so you are basically up against big pharma, big agriculture, the prison industrial complex, and the entirety of the Trump administration. Because now they're finding that, that, uh, that uh, cannabis can help with men and women who have returned from this awful war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it helps them with their PTSD. They are finding that there's all kinds of things that cannabis can do. You've always known this. I've always known this. And so you are an affront and a threat to their bottom line. And they love money more than they love you, of course. This episode was produced as part of the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville, the daily news and interview podcast covering the world of medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. Subscribe now for free at mjagenda.com. The Marijuana Agenda. Like the gay agenda, only with better music. The Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belville is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News, the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association and the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. I'm Russ Belville with the Marijuana Agenda. Join me every two weeks for the Cannabis Minority Report from the Minority Cannabis Business Association. Learn more at mjagenda.com slash about.
total war against public enemy public number, number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was that was the point. I think we'd be a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Today in the rant, we want to talk about a story that I saw up on MJ Biz Daily, Marijuana Business Daily, and the title of it is MPP Chief Ready to Barter for Marijuana Campaign Donations. And it refers to Rob Campia, the executive director, the founder of the Marijuana Policy Project. And the story talks about uh, the state of Michigan, where he's up there trying to solicit donations for a 2018 campaign for legalization. And in this, the piece reveals a strategy or or maybe a principle of MPPs, and that, that is the principle of doing what it takes to win. And sometimes this principle of doing what it takes to win runs into direct conflict with principles that some of us as cannabis consumers and growers and lovers of this plant, uh, some of the principles we hold dear. And I want to talk about that conflict a little bit because it's hard to, it's hard to call it evil or good or bad or right or wrong. It's just a different way of doing things. And, and people can disagree on this, but I think there are some places where we need to hold the line. Uh, In this story, the quotes from uh, Rob Campy include uh, him speaking to tobacco interests in Michigan, and the tobacco interests there uh, wanted to see a requirement that anyone who would be a distributor, a state-issued marijuana transporter, anybody with that distributor's license, would have to have some experience uh, transporting cash. And the quote that uh, Campia gave to MJ Biz Daily is, To go that specific would definitely require someone to have to donate more, and no one was willing to. It wasn't like, hey, does anyone want to give us $500,000 for an oligopoly? That's sort of like asking for marriage on the first date. That's more of what would have happened if the conversation had gone further. Really, the question that I personally posed was, do people care do you people care enough about limiting the universe of who can drive marijuana around that you would actually be willing to donate substantially if we narrowed the universe down from infinity to some smaller number and we got them interested and that's why we were talking more than one just one time but ultimately at the end of the day to narrow the universe to start pre- permanently favoring specific business interests you have to give me a big dollar amount or I'm not going to want to deal with it because I'm going to get attacked by our allies. And then people were like, there's not actually a dollar amount that makes sense for this, end quote. So the principle being uh, exposed here, I guess, is one that says, pay us enough money and we'll write whatever legalization plan you want. This seems to be uh, the case in lots of states where MPP has had the hand in legalizing medical or recreational use. We saw in Arizona where they set up the 25-mile halo rule where patients who lived within 25 miles of a dispensary could not grow their own cannabis. There was some excuse back in the day about it being uh, to ensure there would be a market for the dispensaries as if anybody ever went broke selling pot. 
Uh, now, 97% of the patients in Arizona cannot home grow because they live within 25 miles of a dispensary. We saw that get added to Nevada's medical marijuana. We saw Nevada's legalization adopt that 25-mile halo. We've seen other medical marijuana states where it was uh, a huge deal uh, about uh, making sure that people couldn't smoke cannabis, that people wouldn't have access to whole plant. And there's all sorts of excuses given for this as far as you're having to get it through a conservative legislature. This is what you have to do to be able to get things passed. And again, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. However, I would like to see some consistency on this principle. Here's where I have the problem with this idea of Campia saying, do people care enough about limiting the universe of who can drive marijuana around that you would actually be willing to donate substantially if we narrowed that universe down from infinity to a smaller number. Does anyone want to give us a half million dollars for an oligopoly? And it was funny that he, he brought the word oligopoly into the quote. Because back in 2015, there were 10 different investors willing to give $2 million each to form such an oligopoly, and MPP was neutral on the issue. I'm wondering if it had been MPP's idea, had it been Rob Campia and not Ian James soliciting those donations throughout Ohio, would $2 million have been a large enough number for MPP and Rob Campia to accept the oligopoly that was proposed? If, if this is the way the game is playing, I'm fine with it. If, if the idea here is Whatever the market will bear, however much money we can get to, to pass legalization, whatever baby step we can take forward is worth it. I'm with you. I supported Washington's I-502, and that's led to all sorts of terrible uh, outcomes. But it moved the ball forward. It got legalization moving forward, even without home grow. If we're going to make those sacrifices, that's great. That's fine. That's the game we got to play. Let's play it, and let's play it consistently. With some support from MPP, with some positive stand out on the street corner, yell it from the rooftop support from the marijuana community, from the, the big national organizations, that Ohio bill, maybe it could have passed. Now, obviously, there was all sorts of problems with it as far as uh, the car cartoon character mascot that they put out and and the reliance on the youth vote and going in a 2015 election when you're in an off off year election all sorts of ricky mistakes that were made by this campaign i'm not saying that it could have that it necessarily would have passed but maybe it wouldn't have lost with a 36% majority so if if the deal here is that whatever the funders will propose is something we can go with then let's go with it. I mean, Campia even said, I'm not going to want to deal with it because I'm going to get attacked by our allies. And surely lots of people, a lot of our allies here, a lot of my colleagues in marijuana reform were vocally opposed to the Ohio issue three in 2015. So I understand Rob, what it's like to be attacked over your stance on something like this. I stood strong for Ohio issue three and got attacked from all quarters on this issue. But again, to me, it wasn't about how much money got raised. It was, this was the best shot Ohio was ever going to get. And I predicted accurately, I might add, that if Ohio 2015 went down, there'd be attempts to pass medical marijuana by initiative to go for a smaller uh, goal 
which MPP did. And then MPP dropped that just as soon as the legislature realized, hey, we better pass something more limited or they'll come around and pass an initiative that's more open. Follow MJ Agenda on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, and SoundCloud. And follow MJ Agenda Show on Twitter. Learn more at MJAgenda.com. That's all the time we got. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Russ Belville. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of everyone, tokers. Take a seat, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down school.